Hello, and welcome to my podcast. Okay, here is the story. I am the host, Dee Burns. A story by definition is an account of imaginary or real people and events told for entertainment purposes. I've always believed that life is a story, and I come from a long line of storytellers. So this podcast is about telling my story, your story, and other people's story. This is part four of my five-part series reviewing the TV show Emergency Call. Check your local listings for dates and times. My next podcast is going to be the finale, and it includes an interview with Jazzy Betcher. She's a 911 call operator at the call center here in Waukesha, Wisconsin, and she was featured on the show pretty prominently, but... It's a great interview. I'm going to say right now, Jazzy is an amazing, beautiful woman. She is just amazing. I was so thrilled to interview her. She was just a true delight. So please tune in for that. So before we start, we need to get some business out of the way. We're always looking for sponsors and advertisers. If you're interested, please email me at okayhereisthestory at gmail.com. Please don't forget to include all your contact information. You'll now be able to find this podcast on whatever platform you use for your podcasts. You'll find a link to the platforms that I'm on on my website, okayhereisthestory.com. For future episodes, drumroll please, I'm going to be interviewing my son Wyatt, who is a Marine, and he just finished his deployment in Australia. He's back in the United States. He was in Australia for six months, and he is coming home pretty soon. And his brother and I are thrilled. We are just full of anticipation for him to come home. But uh, I've already spoken with Wyatt. He wants to do the podcast. And we're going to be discussing a couple of things. We're going to be discussing life as a Marine, what it's like to be stationed in Australia for six months, and what are the differences between Australia and America. I think it is going to shock you. I was shocked when some, he told me some things on the phone. If you're a Marine, you're from Australia, or you've spent a large amount of time in Australia, and you'd like to share your story, please send me an email to okayhereisthestory at gmail.com. Unless otherwise noted, I will share your story and your first name only. If you're interested in being interviewed um, for the podcast, please include all of your contact information. Finally, if you'd like to make a donation to this podcast, you can find me on my GoFundMe page. Okay, here is the story. All donations will be used to purchase hardware and software that, for this podcast. No one involved with this show is paid or is ever paid. GoFundMe is a secure page for donations. Okay, so now is the time to start part four of my five-part series about the show Emergency Call. So today's episode, we're in Wasilla, Alaska. Okay, <clears throat> I'm sure that Alaska is a beautiful state. I'm sure it's gorgeous. I've never been there, and honestly, I have no desire to ever go there. <laughs> but I've known people who have vacationed there. I've known people who have retired up there. Oh. <sighs> That place is insane. I mean, it is so cold. The weather is so extreme. 
I will also say at this time, I am binge watching the show Deadliest Catch, which, as you know, takes place in the Bering Sea in Alaska. So the weather part, the extreme weather part of my statement comes from that show. And maybe I shouldn't let that influence my show emergency call, but it kind of does. Um, oh my gosh, I just... <laughs> Oh, it would stress me out. It stressed me out because they would have these emergent calls and they would dispatch EMS or not EMS, but, you know, they would dispatch the appropriate people. And sometimes in the show, it would say, well, if you want us to go out there, it's going to take us a couple days to get out there. It was like, what? You know, it was hours sometimes, and let alone minutes. I mean, it, it was like 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. I mean, it was incredibly stressful. And I would always tell best friend and Hunter about the Alaska shows. And I would always preface it by saying, by the way, fuck Alaska. <laughs> I'm sorry if anybody listens to this podcast. It is from Alaska. I apologize. But oh my gosh, you people, oh, you have extreme living up there. So let me give you a little background on Wasilla. Wasilla was incorporated in 1973. The current city resident population is approximately 7,000 people. And that's a conservative estimate population of more than 80,000 adjacent in the Matsu borough. I'm ho I hope I'm saying that correctly. So to give you a little perspective, the Matsu borough is the size of West Virginia. Now I will tell you the city of Wasilla, Alaska itself, for my Iowa friends who live in Iowa, is the size of Knoxville, Iowa, not Tennessee. So if you're from Iowa and you know the state, Wasilla is about the size of Knoxville. So this information that I'm going to read to you, and I'm going to read it to you because it's pretty specific, um, comes from the Matsu Frontiersman paper, and this story was printed in July of 2020. The Wasilla Police Department took over MATCOM dispatch in 2017 and began fielding 911 calls to dispatch fire departments, EMS, and police across the entire Matsu borough, including the Copper Valley area. Communications Director for MATCOM, Jacob Butcher, provided the council with an update on the improving location information provided by working with phone companies. We're, okay, now I'm going to quote Jacob Butcher. Okay, quote, we're receiving much more information with much quicker results on 911 calls for the whole area. We also get a visual representation on our maps, on our dispatch consoles, said Jacob Butcher. That's a huge leap forward in the 911 industry for the entire state, end of quote. So prior to this implementation in 2020, the dispatchers received no information from calls and the only way for them to find out the location of a 911 caller was to gather information during the call. Verizon was the first cell phone carrier to verify location of calls from their cell towers, towers in the summer of 2018 and General Communication Incorporated or GCI followed in 2019. The largest cell phone carrier in the state, AT&T, finished testing location data with MATCOM in 2020. Now I'm going to read another quote from Jacob, Jacob Butcher, who is the um, director. Quote, now we get very accurate location information from cell phones in the Copper Valley area 
from those three cell phone providers. Very accurate. If you're in McCarthy or happen to be and make a 911 call, we can pinpoint your location to within about five meters, end of quote. So now that I've given you a little background about the Wasilla Matsu Call Center, I'm going to start talking about the show. But first, I want to kind of introduce the cast of characters. So first, you have Rhonda. Rhonda is the supervisor for this call center. And I believe she said that she has 13 years of experience. It may have been more than that, but I believe she said 13. So then there is Josie. Josie has a twin sister, Jackie. Josie and Jackie work the same shift. And I am here to tell you, Josie and Jackie, there is no question those two amazing women are identical twins because the show was not real clear that there were identical twins working the same shift in Alaska. <laughs> and as I was watching it, I was thinking, okay, that's Jack. No, it was Josie. I'm like, okay, that's Josie. Wasn't she just sitting over there? It, then it, then they stated that, you know, it was twin sisters. They worked the same shift. Now, Josie's husband is Scott, and he is a police officer for Wasilla. Megan is another operator, and the show doesn't really share much about her, but she does receive one of the first calls. And this call is from a man stating he believes that he has just seen a vehicle that has a drunk driver. He explains to Megan where he saw the vehicle and that it's swerving all over the road. And so Megan takes down the information and she dispatches the appropriate responders. Okay. 15 minutes later, Rhonda gets a call from a man. And this guy, he says, he claims that his girlfriend has called him stating that she was driving with her son in the car. And he says, he tells Rhonda, she sounded very, very drunk. And so he starts asking Rhonda, you know, what should I do? And he says, should I stay at home by the phone? Should I go looking for her? You know, what should I do? So Rhonda tells him that just stay put for now. Um, she takes down his phone number and, um, you know, other information. And she promises them that she'll call him back if she hears anything else. So a few minutes later, Josie receives a phone call from a woman who is reporting that she just saw a car flip over in front of her and that there are people trapped in the car. Now, this is where it got a little confusing because originally she said there's people trapped in the car. Um, but then later on, she says, there's a female driver and a little one. I thought she said toddler. She may have said baby, but they're out of the car. So it was very confusing exactly what was going on. So imagine being a 911 operator and trying to figure this stuff out. I mean, I was watching the TV show and couldn't figure it out. But anyway, Josie moves through the, the call um, with the caller. And she dispatch, she goes in and she dispatches police, fire, and EMS. Um, and she's, you know, getting more information about the well-being of the people in the vehicle. So when Josie finally gets a positive ID of the driver from the police, because the police finally get there on the scene, and they finally get a, a positive ID of this female, you know, 
Josie says the name and Rhonda, her supervisor, who is sitting really close, realizes that that's the name of the woman that the male caller um, was calling about. So Rhonda calls the guy back and tells him that, uh, you know, what happened, that, that, you know, she had been in an accident and that the fem- that her and, and the baby had minor injuries and they were being taken to the Wasilla, Alaska hospital to be checked out. So, of course, the guy is just freaking out, which, you know, I understand. He's thinking about his son and he's wanting to know if he goes to the hospital, am I going to be able to bring my son home? And Rhonda tells him, you know, that Child Protective Services has been called. Um, They're probably going to meet you at the hospital. And they'll probably help you with placement at that time. So he thanks Rhonda. And, you know, the phone call ends. And I will say, just from my previous life experience, there was one of the operators made a comment. I don't know which one it was. But when they said this statement, it really, it stuck with me. And I've thought it about I've thought about it several times since then. But here is what the operator said. And I quote, "It takes one bad choice by a family member to change the entire family." End of quote. Think about that for a moment. I'm sure we all have those people in our family, and they've made bad choices, whether the choice was drugs, alcohol, whether it was being a bitch, you know, whatever. It was their choice and it was a bad choice and it affected the entire family. So, you know, just if you're trying to choose, make a choice about something, you know, I know that you're thinking about yourself and that's fine. You should, but also think about the, how it's going to affect the entire family family. Okay, so the next few calls I'm going to talk about were received by Rhonda, the supervisor. And these next two calls I'm going to talk about are really bizarre, (laughs) especially to those of us who live in the lower 48 states and Hawaii. I'm sure that people who live in Alaska, Canada, or any really cold country, state, whatever is closer to the North Pole, I'm sure that this, these calls will not be a surprise to you. (laughs) But to those of us who don't live up there, it was kind of eye-opening. So as I've said multiple times, I was born and raised in Iowa. Wildlife-wise, I would say our biggest issue is deer. Uh, Cars hit them, people hunt them, Matter of fact, one time I even saw a product at Cabela's <laughs> that they sell. It's called deer urine. <laughs> and the guy that I was dating at the time, he says, oh yeah, we use that for hunting. Okay, whatever. So anyway, that being said, in Iowa, if a car hits a deer, you know, pretty much that deer's left on the side of the road. I mean, for a while. I mean, I've seen deer carcasses on the side of the road that have been there for quite a while. (laughs) Now it is the responsibility of the highway department to come along and, um, you know, they either take the deer carcass with them or they just shove it into the nearest ditch and, you know, other wildlife creatures will feed off of it. So keep all this in mind. 
I know that's a lot of information, but just keep that in mind as we go through this. So the first call that Rhonda receives is a guy who, <laughs> you know, I wish I could have interviewed somebody from Alaska for this because this part I just did not understand. For some reason, this guy was out in the Alaska elements enjoying his morning. I don't know if he was walking his dog. I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. But he called and he said that he saw a mother moose give birth to a baby moose. And apparently she was too close to the edge of this cliff. And because after the baby was born, it kind of got up and it stumbled and it fell off the cliff and it fell to a cliff below. So the guy tells Rhonda that um, he believes that the moose has broken legs and that it's just, it's not going to live. Okay. So Rhonda asks if it is salvageable. Remember that term because I was kind of confused by that. Is it salvageable? What does that mean? We'll talk about that later. So remember that. So the guy explains that he doesn't believe that the moose is going to survive and he's calling to get permission. Okay. Now this is going to be a direct quote from the guy. He says, I'm calling to get permission to kill the baby moose quote. So the baby moose can go to moose heaven or wherever they go. End of quote. <laughs> I don't think that there's a moose heaven. I don't know. There might be, I don't know. So I started doing research on this cause this really kind of interested me in Alaska. You have to have permission to kill a moose, even if it's disabled. So even if it's very obvious that the moose is going to die and you have a gun on you, you can't just shoot it. You have to call to get permission to kill it, which I thought was very interesting. And we're going to talk more about that later. And, you know, and I'll go into detail of why this all happens. But so Rhonda calls a state trooper and explains the situation to him. And the trooper says, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and tell the guy to, um, they use the word dispatch it, which I wasn't, didn't understand, but Rhonda calls the guy back and she says, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead and, and dispatch it. And again, I'm going to have a section on here, what I learned from Alaska. And we're going to come back to this moose phone call. So just try to keep it in mind as a reference, um, because I learned, <laughs> I learned some pretty amazing things, but there was one thing that I learned about Alaska, even though the whole time I was watching this show, I was saying, fuck Alaska. <laughs> This was the one thing about Alaska that to me is amazing. And I wish that the lower 48 states would put um, the same program into place. So that's that call. Just remember it in the future. So the next call that Rhonda gets is from a woman. And she says, you know, I'm on a trail ride on horses. And I can hear people shooting and I believe they're shooting at us. Now she explains that she's with a group of people and um, I want to say that there were some children involved. I mean, I think it was mainly adults, but I think there were some children involved and they were all riding horseback on this trail. Okay. So she tells Rhonda that they're in the Jim Creek area for the, if anybody lives in Alaska and listens to my podcast, if you know where the Jim Creek area is, this is where this all took place. 
And the horses are really getting spooked because, you know, they can hear the gunshots. So she continues um, to tell Rhonda that she believes that the uh, people who are shooting, they don't know that these people are on this trail. And, you know, in the background, you can hear all these shots just going off just continuously. The caller is yelling at the people in her group. And she's telling them, stay off the horses and stay down, stay down. And then she tells Rhonda, we can hear the bullets ricocheting above our heads. Now, I would assume that means that they were hitting, you know, um, I would assume with it being Alaska and, and that they were on a trail, there was some kind of, you know, there was probably all kinds of trees. And so they're hearing, the, I'm going to say that they were hearing the bullets ricocheting off the trees. And she, the, lady, the caller tells Rhonda, we've yelled and yelled at the people, but they haven't stopped. And then she says, I'm not even sure that they can hear us. So um, Rhonda has police sent and the officers find the shooters. And it ended up being that it was a bunch of hunters that were practiced shooting at a target. And they didn't even know that there was a horse trail behind there. So they had no idea. So once this shot stopped, you, you know, you could hear the calm come over the woman's voice and you can hear her tell the people she's with that it's safe. You can get back on the horses and we'll, we're going to go back to the horse barn. And, you know, you could hear her telling, you know, go gather the horses. And, you know, so it was a whole thing. So again, Alaska, crazy state, just could be out for a nice little horse ride on a trail and hear shots firing at you. Oh my gosh. Okay. I would like to think that you would not hear that in the lower 48 states, but I don't know. There's a few states that maybe you would. But anyway. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm going to discuss one final call. It's pretty an ex it's a pretty extensive call because I want to spend more time on talking about um, some programs I learned that they have in Alaska. So again, the final call goes to Rhonda. <laughs> And this woman calls, and I'm going to say she was a young gal. She sounded young to me. I don't know. But she calls reporting that her and her boyfriend were out camping in their tent. They were at mile marker, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, whatever number. And in the middle of the night, they heard a man start to scream. And he was screaming, somebody help me, help me, get it away from me. And she goes, then he stopped screaming. Just all of a sudden. So the gal says, you know, we're under the impression that the man was screaming because he was under an attack by a bear. And then the gal says, we were not armed except for bear spray. Okay, so I'm going to stop right here. You live in Alaska. You are camping in Alaska. You have nothing except bear spray with you. You have no guns, knives, nothing. Again, I feel this gal was younger. And because of that, I'm going to chalk this up to lack, lack of experience or lack of wilderness smarts. I don't know. But, um, honey, I would think if you're going to continue to camp in Alaska, you need to take more with you than just bear spray. Bear spray is important. I'm not saying it's not. Yes, have that with you. 
but also have a gun, have a knife, something. You're in Alaska. You are out in the middle of nowhere. Anybody could walk up on your campsite and do anything, not to mention wildlife. And it doesn't have to be a bear. It could be a moose. It could be a wolf. I mean, you guys have all kinds of animals up there that attack. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's my commentary about that. Anyway, so the woman, the caller continues to state that they got scared and they got in their car. And as they sat in the car, they were talking about it and they became a little bit more frightened. So they left. They, she says, we just left our tent. We left everything, everything except our phones and the car, but our tents, everything are still there. So, um, she kind of gives Rhonda a general direction of where they were at and the general direction of where the man's voice was coming from, but she couldn't be sure, you know, about where it was exactly. And I can understand that it's the wilderness sound is going to be bouncing off of everywhere, but she gave Rhonda a general direction. So Rhonda's looking at a map and, um, she gets kind of a general sense of where the couple had been staying. Um, so she, she calls the closest trooper, um, to the area and he was at home asleep. And, um, once he kind of gets woke up, she explains the situation of the call and she asks how long would it be before you could arrive at the site? And the trooper is like three hours, <laughs> a three hour drive from your house to this mile marker. I, I, that, that just boggles me. Now in my next, when I interviewed Jazzy Betcher, um, my that's going to be my show finale. I can't remember if we talked about this during the podcast or if we talked about it offline, but I had said something to Jazzy about, you know, that is why it was really hard for me to watch the calls that they were getting in Wasilla, Alaska, because it was nothing for them to have a three hour response time or an hour response time or a couple of days. And I said, it really stressed me out. And Jazzy was like, yeah, it stressed me out too. She says, because I get, I get upset when, you know, I'm calling people out and the response time is like 10 minutes. And it was like, I know. Right. So anyway, trooper three hours from his house to this certain mile marker. And apparently the trooper told Rhonda, he says, you know, that area is so remote that even tow trucks won't go out there. So that's how remote it was. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine living in a state like that. But anyway, so Rhonda continues to look on the map and she noticed that pump station number 12 was closer and it would probably have a quicker response time than the trooper. So the trooper says, you know, that's fine. He's like, call pump station 12. Um, you know, he goes, I'm going to leave, but, um, you know, I'm going to start driving, but you keep calling around to see if you can get somebody that can get there quicker. And if you do give me a call, let me know. And again, for those of us who live in the lower 48 States, maybe people who live here, I'm sure there are people who live down here that know what a pump station is. I had no clue. I, I grew up in Iowa. I don't know what a pump station is. So I did a little research on pump stations and they're along the Alaska oil pipeline. They are large industrial facilities that maintain the flow and pressure of oil by receiving oil from the pipeline, 
repressurizing it and sending it back into the pipeline system. Okay, <laughs> you still didn't know what that meant. It, it, to me, it just means it's a way for us to get gas in our cars. So, okay, and since the 70s, the pump stations themselves have contained safety equipment. They house on-staff safety personnel, um, and that personnel is there to overcome any problems along the pipeline route. I did not know that there could be problems along a pipeline route. So I Googled that, what problems can happen along a pipeline route. That in itself was amazing since the 70s. You know, people have tried to blow up sections of the Alaskan oil pipeline. They've shot at it. Um, sometimes where there are welds on the pipeline, it, after time it weakens and then you have a leak. So there's always stuff that can happen along the pipeline. And that's why they have these pump stations that are manned so that they're close and they can go and deal with the issue. So Rhonda says, okay, I'm going to call pump station 12. So she does, and there's no answer. So she ends up calling the manager of pump station 12. And he says, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call the local fire department. He's like, yeah, we are closer. Still have the trooper respond. Um, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to call the local fire department. So he did. And they ended up taking their thermal imaging equipment out to the area where the 911 caller had reported, okay? And they combed the area looking for a body or a bear using their thermal imaging, okay? And because it was so dark and so remote, they were concerned that the bear had dragged the person into the woods. So that's why they were using the thermal imaging so they could kind of get a picture of the layout of the land and, and see what was going on. So once the trooper got there, um, you know, it was daylight, apparently, and they kind of got a visual on the area where they thought the woman was talking about, and they did find evidence of a struggle. And they spent two hours looking for a body, and they never found a body. But they did find disturbed vegetation, torn clothes, and bear fur scattered throughout the area. No human remains were ever found, and no one ever reported a guy missing. And Luke Wilson, at the end of the show, he said, or at the end of that part, he says, it's still a mystery today. Again, it was like, why is a bear? I mean, I would assume that a bear would drag a body off into the woods to eat it. And that there would be something left of it. But um, no, that's not the case. Apparently bears will drag a body to wherever and they will bury it because they don't want other animals getting it, which I did not know that. So they just kind of assumed that's what happened with this guy. So again, there was no... No resolution to it, and nobody ever reported anybody missing. So, okay, so here is the section that is what I learned from Alaska. Oh my, okay, I learned <laughs> y'all got extreme weather, extreme animals, and there's nobody around for miles. <laughs> no, I learned more than that. So, apparently, 15% of all calls 
just the calls received in Wasilla, Alaska, are wildlife-related phone calls. That seems like a lot to me. So out of 100 phone calls, 15 of them have to do with wildlife. Wow. It's very common for residents of Alaska to carry bear spray with them. <laughs> so now those poor Alaska people, they have to remember their keys, their cell phone, their masks, <laughs> and their bear spray. Holy crap. Oh my gosh. So I decided to look a little bit more into bear attacks. So here are some statistics about bear attacks. There were 664 bear attacks on people globally between 2000 and 2015. That doesn't seem like a lot. Globally, there were 23 fatal black bear attacks in the U.S. between 2000 and 2016. Again, doesn't seem like a lot. If you, I mean, in the U.S., I mean, you're counting Alaska, and I would assume that they have black bears. I know they have black bears in Colorado. Um, but yeah, I mean, that doesn't seem like a lot for a 16-year period. There are 40 bear attacks around the world every year. Around the world, there are 40 bear attacks. That doesn't seem like a lot. I just think it's they're just so traumatic. But yeah, it doesn't seem like that, that there's a lot. Okay, so there were only four fatal bear attacks in Ontario, Canada in the last 100 years. So let's take all those statistics I just read you and I'm going to compare it with some other statistics. Okay. On average, lions kill 250 people per year in Africa alone. 250 people a year lions kill. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. Sharks are responsible for six human deaths every year. That's it. As much as we hear about shark attacks and we see video of sharks getting closer to the beach, really only six human deaths every year. That's something I'm going to ask Wyatt when I interview him is if they talk about shark attacks in Australia. We need to talk about that. So anyway, here's my final statistic. And for those of us who live in the Midwest, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, mosquitoes kill 750,000 people every year. Now, granted, you know, you have mosquitoes in other countries where I think it was George Clooney kind of did like a mosquito net fundraiser or whatever for other countries where they can get diseases and people die. So it doesn't surprise me that a lot of people die from mosquitoes, but holy shit, 750,000 a year. That seems like a lot. That just, that seems like a lot to me. <clears throat> okay. So there were two major things that I learned. Okay. We're going to stop right here so I can get a drink and I'll come back to that. Oh my gosh, my eyes itching me. Okay, we're back in three, two, one, go. So there were two major things I learned from the Alaska shows. 
first of all, if you're in an area, and this isn't Alaska specific, but they highlighted it on um, the Alaska show because they had a caller who didn't know where they were at. And if you're ever in an area and you don't know exactly where you're at, and you have an Android phone. Now, I'm speaking just for Android phones, okay? I'm not speaking for iPhones. I don't know anything about iPhones. All I know is they are made by Apple. That's all I know. So I'm speaking just for Android phones. If you are in an area and you don't know where you are at and you have an Android cell phone, there is an option on your phone, and it's called a plus code, okay? So this is how you find your plus code, and I'll explain what it is. So you open your Google Maps on your phone, okay? Wherever your phone is, and I'm going to assume in this situation your phone is with you, but wherever your phone is on the map, you're going to have a small blue dot, and it's going to show up right where you're at, okay? Tap that blue dot, and another screen is going to appear. If you scroll down, you're going to see the words, plus code and then there's going to be a short six digit code so as i sit here today i can do this on my phone okay my code pops up as w4hq the plus sign fr if you give this code to any 911 operator it is a shortcut street address and it is designed to let responders locate you. It is an easy way for them to find out where you are at. Keep that in mind. Thank you, Google Maps, for doing it. I, I am a Google woman. I love Google. I use Google for everything. Google Maps, amazing job. Thank you for doing that because I'm sure that just by adding that plus code, it has saved lives, I'm sure. Now, I will say that there really was no promotion of the plus code because I had never heard about it until I watched this show and they talked about it. Um, and then I went, obviously I went online and did my own research and figured out how to find it. And I've told all my family and friends. So please tell your family and friends about the plus code option on Google maps. If they have Android phones, I don't know how it works for iPhones. You'll have to talk to your carrier or Apple or whoever to find out that information. So earlier in the show, I discussed the situation with the baby moose. Remember, I said, we're going to talk about the baby moose later. Okay. And that was the baby moose that fell off the cliff. And the guy had called in and was asking permission, you know, to kill the moose. Okay. And I compared it to deer in Iowa. And I told you that in Iowa, the highway department removes the deer from the highway or interstate. Okay. Or they shove it down into the ditch and let other wildlife eat on it. But in Alaska, this is way different, way different. There are anywhere, this, and this statistic shocked me. I had no idea. I've never seen a moose in real life. I've heard that they're huge. I've heard they can destroy a small car. I've heard they're very large. So I did research about moose, okay? There are anywhere from 600 to 800 moose vehicle accidents every year in Alaska. 600 to 800. Oh my gosh, that seems like a lot. That seems like a lot of vehicle accidents. That seems crazy to me. But if someone hits a moose with their vehicle in Alaska, so if you're going to Alaska and you're going to have a car, 
Just keep this in mind if you hit a moose. You are required by law. By law. There is an accident. There is an actual law in Alaska that you have to report it to state troopers. Now, I will say in Iowa, you hit a deer. Nobody cares. Nobody, you know, you don't have to report it to anybody. You know, you, you're obviously going to do damage to your car. I guess if you wanted to report it to your insurance company, you know, you would. But in Alaska, you are required by law. If you are in a moose vehicle accident to report it to state troopers, okay? If the response time for the trooper requires a few hours, which it probably does in Alaska, the troopers will sometimes go ahead and give the caller permission to shoot and kill the moose if they have a gun, which I would assume, like Texas, I'm sure a lot of people in Alaska have guns that they carry with them. Otherwise, the troopers will send out a wildlife trooper or what they call a patrol trooper to the scene to secure the area, conduct an investigation, and if need be, put the moose down, okay? Then, here's the amazing thing. Oh my gosh, this is just so amazing. In Alaska, there's a program called Alaska Roadkill Salvage Program. Now remember earlier in the podcast, I had said that Rhonda had asked the caller if the moose was salvageable. Okay, here's where that word comes in. This is where the term comes in. Residents in Alaska, and it's only in Alaska, can sign up for a free program. And it's, again, it's called the Alaska Roadkill Salvage Program. And I'm going to have a link to that program in Alaska in my show description. Okay, so anyway, you can sign up for this free program. But it's only located in Anchorage, Matsu Valley, Kene Peninsula, and I'm sorry, I know I mispronounced that, Fairbanks, and most of the interior road system. So if you listen to my podcast and you're from Alaska and you know what the interior road system is, this program is available to you also. So let me explain it. So once a dead moose is reported, okay, like I said, the troopers will call, or, or, you know, they, you have to report it, okay? So you've reported it to the trooper, okay? Now the trooper will call the next available participant on this list. Okay, so he's called John Doe. He says, hey, you're up. You know, this moose was killed, blah, blah, blah. That participant, that person, John Doe, he has approximately 30 minutes from notification to have someone, either himself or someone on the scene to meet the officer. And then they take possession, the people, take possession of the animal. So you have a dead moose. Troopers called you. You have to be there within 30 minutes of notification after notification. Now that moose is yours. It's dead, but it's yours. It is mandatory, required. It is required for all participants to completely remove all of the animal parts. So you are responsible for that entire carcass and you have to remove it from the kill site, every part of it. You can choose to keep the moose meat, or you can donate it to a charity, whatever you want to do with it. It's up to you, but it's yours. So this intrigued me. Well, okay, now this person has come out to the highway or wherever, and they've got possession of this dead moose. Is it beneficial to people? Here's what I found out. On a 900-pound moose, okay, which 
from what I read, is pretty average for a moose. Maybe a little bit above average, but not too far above. On a 900-pound moose, you can expect to receive 300 pounds of meat. 300 pounds of meat! If the meat is donated to a charity, most of the charities that I went online, I researched it, and you know, I went to the websites of these charities that were asking, you know, please donate your moose meat to us because if you do, we can make anywhere from 800 to 900 meals from the meat that you donate. What an amazing program. Hello, 40, lower 48 states. Isn't there something we could do like that? Where roadkill, I mean, maybe not road. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It would be nice to know. If somebody had looked into it and thought about starting this kind of program in the lower 48 states, because I think it's amazing. So all that being said, okay, <clears throat> here's a couple other things that you should know. <laughs> okay, so all that being said, if you've received this moose meat, okay, you've gone out to the site, you've gotten all this moose meat, it is illegal for you to use that meat as animal food or bait. It is also against the law for you to purchase, sell, advertise or offer for sale the meat. So even though it's an amazing program, just know that there are requirements and there are laws in your state of Alaska that tell you things you cannot do with the meat. Also, one more thing. In Alaska, it is a very, very serious crime if you do not report the death of a moose either by a vehicle or a hunting accident, or by a natural situation such as the baby moose falling off the cliff. So, and you know, if this guy was remote, I mean, he did call in. It's against the law if you see a moose die from natural causes not to call in. I don't know who would know that you saw it, but just know if you live in Alaska, if you see a moose die. It is against the law if you do not report it. So please do all of the proper reporting. So as I close the show today, I'm going to start having little small personal comments at the end of each episode. I'm going to do like a little editorial. So next week is the final part of my five-part series on the show, Emergency Call. And it is my interview with Jazzy Betcher, who is the 911 call operator. She's a 911 call operator at the call center here in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And she was featured on the show pretty prominently. They, they really highlighted her. And, and she, like I said before, she's an amazing, beautiful person. And I, I'm so excited to post that show for you. So I decided to add my little personal editorial to this show since um, my interview with Jazzy, I wanted that to focus next week. So, so I just want to tell you, I was brought up to always be respectful of frontline workers, including hospital staff, police, fire, and EMS. I want to advocate that these amazing, beautiful 911 operators be added to that list. It is true that they aren't on the scene, but if you think about it, they carry just as large of a responsibility as those on the scene because it is their responsibility to get the appropriate responders to the scene with the appropriate required equipment to help those who need it. These operators are the calm voices in the dark that we never really see. 
They're amazing, beautiful people who probably have the same life experiences as the callers. And, and you see that a lot through the show. I want to say that I feel so honored to have done this podcast series. Even though Jazzy is the only one of these 911 operators that I have met, I feel like each one of these operators is someone personal in my life. All the ladies and men 911 operators that were featured on this show, Emergency Call, I want you to know that you have impacted my life and I hope to one day meet all of you. I would love to meet, I would love to go, maybe not Wasilla, Alaska, but I would like to go to all the other call centers and I would love to meet these women and men. They were just as amazing. You are all such amazing, beautiful people and I wish that our society had more people like you because I think that we would have a much better country if we did. I love you all and God bless you. Again, you can find us at okayhereisthestory.com. You can get the latest podcast episode, read my blog, or look for information regarding my upcoming book, I Got the Final Word. I would like to end the show again by thanking my son Hunter, who is the executive producer and CTO. That's what I call him, Chief Technology Officer. Although he says it's not a real thing, but whatever. So thank you, Hunter, for your support, for answering my questions, and for letting me use your laptop to record my podcast. I also want to thank my son, Wyatt, for supporting me. And thank you so much, son, for being my sounding board on those phone calls we've had very early in the morning. Granted, you were in Australia, so the time difference was huge. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me and letting me bounce my ideas off of you. I also want to thank the Marines that serve with my son, Wyatt. Thank you for having his back and thank you for making sure that he got back to the United States safely. I love all of you. Everyone have a great day. I'm sending you my love. Please take it and pay it forward to someone in your life today.